0: We were out for lunch, and it came time to figure out what to order. We were at a Mexican restaurant, something everybody in the family loves. My boys were like, I want want a kid's taco. And they both decided that they wanted tacos. And I looked at the menu, and I looked at the kid's menu, and I got to thinking, they're going to each order a kid's taco, and then they're going to still be hungry, because one of them likes rice, the other one likes beans. But then, if they've been on the other person's plate, I mean, they were—they were all about social distancing with food before that was even popular. If it was on, if it was on their siblings' plate. Yeah, that's no, they touched it or ooh, that's so, that's that's generally not going to happen. But if it's on my wife Brooklyn or I's plate, that's fine, right? No, no problem there at all. And so, rather than them pound their kids' taco, and then start picking off off my fajitas. I'm like, why don't I just order them fajitas? They can split the fajitas. Steak is better than ground beef. Everybody would agree to that. At the end of the day, everybody's going to win. They're going to get more food. I'm going to get more food because they're not going to be picking off my plate. I'm paying less money for one order of fajitas than I am two kids' tacos. And so after the the server came and got our drinks – I'm like, hey, guys, we're we're just gonna order you, we're gonna order you fajitas and, and you guys you guys can split it. But I want kids' tacos, Dad. I'm like, okay, listen. In a taco, you're going to have ground beef. In fajitas, you're going to have steak. Do you understand how much better steak is than ground beef? Dad, I I want kids' tacos. I'm like, I I just had a parenting decision to make. And this was this for whatever reason, this was just the decision. I'm like I'm not letting a five-year-old and a seven-year-old decide today. I'm playing the dad card. And I did. I played the dad card. I'm like, we'll take three orders of steak fajitas. Didn't give anybody else. I knew what Brooklyn wanted, okay? I'm I'm not. I wasn't like, you will eat steak fajitas whether you like it or not, too. Like, I'd still give her a little bit of an option. But but (laughs) so the, the server comes, and I order three steak fajitas, no discussion. And they're like, we wanted kids' tacos. And then the fajitas came. And they started pounding the fajitas. And they're like, mmm, this is delicious. And I'm just waiting for it. Just waiting for the, you were so right, Dad. I'm so glad that you ordered the fajitas for us. Instead, you made the right call. And it never came. They never, they never were like, Dad, thank you so much for making a better decision for us. We really appreciate it. It never came. And I just decided in that moment to be petty. And so I looked at my children, I'm like, how are those fajitas? They're like, oh, they're so good, Dad. I'm like, what do you have to say? And they just looked at me really confused. I'm like, how about thanks, Dad? Thanks, Dad, for helping us order something better because you know more than we do. And you will always know more than we do. And Brooks just staring at me from across the table like, all right, I think we've taken this a little bit too far but I'm kind of immune to that look at this point in our relationship because we've been married for over 10 years, and she thinks that about me at least once a day. And so I'm just like, and they're like, fine, Dad, thanks. This is really good. We're glad, we're glad we listened to you. I don't always get it right as a dad. I tend to get it right when I order Mexican food. And it just was one of those moments. It was just one of those moments where I knew more than they did. I knew more than they did. And and in the moment, they were so confused and they were so concerned about wanting their kids taco that they couldn't see beyond that, that I actually had something better in store for them, something that was better tasting and would ultimately provide them with more food. It was better, but they just didn't understand it at the time. Last week, we started our our look at a really small book, a really small personal book called Philemon. And today we're going to wrap up our look at Philemon. And what we saw last week, if you weren't able to join us or watch online, what we saw last week was Philemon was a great guy. He was a great guy who had a church that met in his house. He was full of grace. He encouraged people. He, He shared freely with his life and with his possessions. He was loving. But he also owned a slave. And his slave, Onesimus, ran away from him. And in doing so, he met up with Paul, who, who wrote this book, with the Apostle Paul. He met up with the Apostle Paul. And he gave his life to Jesus as a result of meeting up with Paul and hearing the story of what Jesus has done for us. And Now we pick up the story in Philemon so if you have your phones or your tablets we invite you to follow along in the Bible app and if not the words will be on the screens and here's what we read I am sending him back to you sending my very heart what? you're sending a slave back? What, what's going on? I'm sending him back to you sending my very heart now we look at this and our context and understanding of slavery, and we scratch our heads and say, why in the world would you ever send a slave back who has managed to escape? Why would you send a slave back to a situation of captivity who has managed to escape? What we also see is, is Paul saying here, I'm sending you my very heart. What we're going to see this morning is an interesting dynamic that plays out between Paul and Philemon, And we're also going to see some interesting things that should compel each of us who follow Jesus as well. And one of those things is this, that following Jesus compels us to love others. Following Jesus compels us to love others. Here is Paul, who had an encounter with Onesimus. He's a runaway slave, meaning he's on death row. If anyone caught him, if an authority caught him, he would be put to death. He's a fugitive. He's escaped. His sentence is now punishable by capital punishment. He's on death row. As soon as he's caught, he is executed. And here's somebody who loves Jesus and says, this person, this slave, this fugitive, he's my very heart. I love him so much that he is my very heart. Following Jesus compels us to love others and love others continue I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord and now we start to see a little bit why Paul would make the decision to actually send the runaway slave back to his owner that there's actually a bigger purpose at play here that we get to see. And Paul says, "I would have loved to have kept him. I would have loved to keep Onesimus, but rather than make my life easier, rather than keep him here with me, and oh, by the way, I'm in prison, rather than have somebody who can who can serve me and actually help me out while I rot away in jail, rather than have any of that, I want to give you the opportunity to do the right thing." And here we see Paul with just the immense, just just the immense heart of a father. He says, I am willing, I am willing to lose that convenience. I am willing to inconvenience myself in order for you to have the opportunity for you to do the right thing. Here's something else that we see. That oftentimes, doing the right thing inconveniences us. And it costs us something. I remember being a kid, and I don't remember where we were going, but I remember we were pressed for time. So my parents went to a drive-up ATM at a bank, and my dad put his card in, he was trying to take out $40, and all of a sudden the machine spit out the money, he got the card, he got the receipt, and he's looking at something, and he doesn't pull away, he's just looking at it. I'm like, what are you doing, Dad? And he's like, "Well, instead of spitting out 220s, the machine spit out a 100 and a 20, so I have 120 bucks." And I'm like, "Yes, video game for me." I'm like, "This is fantastic. Bank Air, woohoo! This is great." And he's looking at the receipt to make sure that he didn't punch in 120, And sure enough, the receipt said 40 bucks." And I, I knew we were pressed for time. We were in a hurry. And, and I'm thinking, "Great, I just got a windfall. Uh, as a result of a bank error. Now, he probably wouldn't have given me any of it. He'd been like, no, whatever, it's not yours. He pulls his car around to the front of the bank. He says, "Waiting here. I'm heading in to let him know what happened. I'm like, don't do that. I'm like, why would you do that? No, keep the, keep the difference. What, why? He said, because it's the right thing to do. Because this is how much I took out. And it was an incredible lesson for me as a kid. That he could have easily driven off. He could have easily had 80 more dollars. But ultimately, it wasn't the right thing to do. And so he would take the extra time when we were already pressed for time. And he would go in and be honest about what actually happened. That's a story that's stuck with me all these years later. Doing the right thing will inconvenience us. It will cost us some time. Sometimes it may even cost us some money. It may even cost us relationships. But doing the right thing, it will inconvenience us. But we still need to do the right thing. For this is perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let me read these two verses again because there's so much packed into these two verses that reveal so much about the heart of Paul, the heart of Philemon, the heart of the gospel, and takeaways for all of us. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and And in the Lord. Paul says maybe this is why he ran away. Maybe this is why he ran away. Maybe he ran away in order to have a divine encounter with me. In order that he would discover the hope of Jesus. In order that he could go and have a whole new relationship with you. God can use any set of circumstances in our lives to work. God can use any set of circumstances in our lives in order for him to bring about his purposes. And so Anisimus, whether right or wrong, broke the law when he ran away. And we would all say, well, it's obvious. It's obvious what he should have done. He should have escaped, but he, he broke the law. And he's a fugitive. And God can still, God can still meet a fugitive and accomplish great things for his glory. This is why it's so dangerous when you allow your past to paralyze you. When you allow your circumstances to be, your def- be what defines you. Because God can use anything. God can use your mistakes. God can use your regrets. And He can use all of that to accomplish His bidding. God can use any set of circumstances in order to accomplish what He ultimately wants to accomplish. Verse 16, it really provides for us the answer of why Scripture doesn't more clearly condemn slavery. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Because the goal of the gospel, the goal of the gospel and the story of Jesus is focused on changing the heart. The goal of the gospel and the story of Jesus is focused on changing the heart. Meaning, if we eradicate, if we eradicate slavery... If we eradicate abortion, if we eradicate racism, if we eradicate hunger, if we eradicate poverty, if we eradicate lack of, lack of clean water, if we eradicate all of, those, all of those things, that would be great. But we don't advance the message of Jesus in the process. We have ultimately, ultimately missed it entirely. Because if we do not share the hope of the gospel, then we have neglected to present humanity's biggest need that's us being reconciled to our creator. And so if we endeavor to end racism, but we do nothing to present the hope of Jesus in that process, then we've missed it. If we endeavor to end abortion, but we do not present the hope of Jesus in the process, then we've missed it. we endeavor to end slavery, but we do not promote the hope of Jesus in the process, we've missed it. If we endeavor to end poverty, hunger, a lack of clean drinking water, But we do nothing to advance the hope of Jesus in the process. We have missed it. That's why our efforts can never be just about providing providing a service or a good to somebody. But the forefront of our mission must always be to present the hope of Jesus. Why? Because our greatest need, our greatest need is for us to be reconciled. Jesus. And within that context, Within that context, we do everything we can to fight racism. Within that context, we do everything we can to fight abortion. Within that context, we do everything we can to fight slavery. Within that context, we do everything we can to fight poverty and hunger and a lack of clean drinking water. But we must never get to the point where those things take over our focus and the gospel is pushed back. The gospel must always be on the forefront of, Of the utmost importance. Because it is our greatest need. And make no mistake here. Paul is condemning slavery. But he's acknowledging the greater need in the process. He's acknowledging the greater need in order to achieve his ends of condemning slavery. He's using the relationship with Jesus. He's telling him, "You, when he comes back to you, you accept him not as a slave. You accept him as a brother. The whole dynamic has changed. Because everything changes when we have an encounter with the gospel. And that is why the gospel must be at the forefront of all of our efforts. He goes on, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. The gospel compels us to accept others. The gospel compels us to accept others. Yes, even others with a past. But if we're truly followers of Jesus, the gospel compels us to live in community and accept others. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul's offering to pay Onesimus' debts. He's willing to pay. He's willing to foot the bill. Think of this picture. Here is Paul sending a slave back to his owner, saying, when he comes back to you, you receive him. Not not as a slave. You do not punish him. No, you, you receive him now as a brother and if you still can't wrap your mind around this and if you still say well he owes me something you charge that to me do you see what's going on here do you see the beautiful picture that this is for us in the same way that jesus has paid our debt So that now when we stand before God, God doesn't see us for our mistakes. God doesn't see us for our failures. God doesn't see all of the ways that we have fallen short. He doesn't hold that against us because Jesus has paid our debt. We were slaves. We were slaves to sin. Whether you realize it or not, before you made the decision to follow Jesus, Scripture tells us that you were a slave to sin. That sin is what owned you and your eternal destiny was a part from God in a place the Bible calls hell but as a result of what Jesus has done for us he bought us he paid our ransom so that now we are accepted as God's children and he has made a way for us to be with our Savior for all eternity. This is a beautiful picture for what God has done for you and for me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. In Christ. He's, he's just going for emphasis here. He's saying, I'm telling you, if you get to the point where you're still like, Onesimus owes me something, I will pay it. I will take care of that debt. I've got it. And then he says this, but oh, remember, you owe me something. You owe me everything. You owe me everything. Onesimus, he may owe you something economically, Philemon. Because of the way the law was structured. The rights of slaves. How they were owned as property. Onesimus may owe you something economically in that structure. Paul writes to Philemon. He says, but the reality is this. You owe me something far greater. You owe me something far greater than an economic price. you owe me everything. Because I'm the one, Paul says to Philemon, who met you where you were and changed your eternal destiny by pointing you to Jesus. says, if you're tempted, To think, Onesimus owns you something. You just remember. You just remember what you've experienced. You just remember what you've been given. When we're tempted to think, oh, I'm better than them. I have mistakes and I have failures, but I'm I'm better than them. Let's remember. Let's remember. What Jesus has done for all of us. Every single one. He says, refresh my heart in Christ. Show me you understand the gospel. Refresh my heart in Christ. Show me you understand the gospel. Put it into practice in your life. This is where you can prove it. This is where you can prove it. The opportunity is yours. Make the right call. You have the chance. Now do it. Make the right call. Prove to me you understand just what you've experienced. And then Paul, without skipping a beat, writes this. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. You see this? He says, you can be wrong about something. You can be wrong about something as big as slavery. You can be as wrong about something as slavery. And we can disagree. You can be wrong and we can disagree. And I will still choose to see the best in you. I will still choose to see the best in you. You can be wrong about really major things, but we are united by the gospel. And so I will make the choice. To see the best in you. That's what he's saying when he says, knowing you will do even more. He says, confident of your obedience, knowing you will do even more. Look, you're wrong about slavery. You're wrong about this issue. But I can still see the best in you. I still see the best in you. And you can be wrong. And we can disagree. And I will still desire a close relationship with you. So let's get a guest room ready for me. Because when I get out of jail, I'm coming to stay with you. We've got to get beyond this toxic mindset that we have to be disagreeable when we disagree. It is infecting our culture. And it's everywhere. And as people who love Jesus, we need to lead the way on this. That we will not be silenced. We will not be silenced to speaking the truth. But we will disagree with people without becoming disagreeable that we will see and understand that not everybody's at the same place in their spiritual journey. And so there will be some people who love Jesus, who love Jesus passionately, who still get it wrong on some issues. And we will make the choice not to just throw that person off, But instead, we will understand that some people can be wrong about really big things and we will still make a concerted effort to still see the best in them. That people can be wrong about really major things and we will still desire close relationships with them. That we do not have to write them off. Because they're wrong. And then... Philemon ends with these three verses. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. See, this is community. This is community that operates as Christ commands. Philemon, you shouldn't own slaves. You shouldn't own slaves. Paul's just gotten done telling him that in very clear language, saying, I'm sending him back to you. You accept him as a brother. You don't charge him anything. If you feel he owes you anything, you charge it to me. But this is community that operates as Christ commands. Because Philemon, you shouldn't own slaves. But Paul and Timothy and Epaphras and Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke... They don't give you the silent treatment. They don't run away when relationship gets hard. They don't want nothing to do with you because they disagree. They send you their warm greetings. They wish you well. We need to love people through their errors. We need to love people through their errors and not be quick to cancel them. We must refuse to allow cancel culture to seep into the church. And we must, we must be principled. And we need to love people through their errors. We need to not define them only by their errors. And we need to love people through their errors and not be quick to cancel them. Not be quick to be mad and delete them from our phone. Not to be quick and decide, I'm never going to go over to their house again. I'm never going to spend time with them ever again. We need to love people through their errors. This is community that operates as Christ commands. What else does this mean? It means we will speak the truth. We will speak the truth. but the the gospel compels us to do so in love. We will speak the truth, but the gospel compels us to speak that truth in love. We will not water down the truth. And where scripture is clear, we will be clear. But we will always do that. We will always do that in love. What else do we take away from this? That you can be majorly wrong. You can be majorly wrong. And we have an obligation to tell you that. You can be majorly wrong. And for for the love that we have for God, we are compelled to tell you when you're majorly wrong. You can be majorly wrong, and we'll tell you you you're majorly wrong. But you'll never, never have to question whether you are loved or welcome. That's what Lakeside must be. It must be a place where we will tell people the truth because there is nothing more loving than ultimately telling somebody the truth. And we are compelled to speak the truth. But we must do so in a way that people understand that they are always welcome and that they are loved. That they are always welcome. And that they are loved. And lastly, there must be grace. There must be grace. There must be truth. And it's time we understand that love is where grace and truth collide. Love is where grace and truth collide. And it isn't always pretty. And it isn't always easy. But it's the community that God has called us to be. Throughout the months of August and September you're going to be hearing more and more about opportunities to be invested and engaged in intentional community through small group offerings we're going to have this fall. We're working through all the logistics. There will be groups that meet in person, so long as that's allowed. There will be groups that meet online. There will be options available for everyone's comfort level. What we have to really work at right now is something that's not unique to us at Lakeside, but it's something that people are having to work at in every area of life. And that's staying connected. There is no better connection point An authentic community. Community that walks with you in hard times. Community that loves you enough to challenge you. Community that honors this idea that grace and truth collide in something called love. And that you are loved. And you are valued. And so I want to put a bug in your ear right now. I want to put these groups on your radar. Because now, especially, as there are so many opportunities for people to become isolated, it is imperative for us to remain connected. And understanding in that connection and in community, there are going to be people with whom we disagree. And there are going to be people who have things in their life where they get it wrong. And you know who that is? Everyone. We all have things in our life we get wrong. But we need to be people who say, you can be wrong about things. But I'm still going to love you. And love is that collision of grace, and truth. And we must be people, as followers of Jesus, who do everything we can to model that in our lives and to the world around us where these concepts are completely devoid. God, I pray that we would be people who keep the message of hope at the forefront of all that we do. I pray that the gospel and the hope that we have, it would change us. And God, we would use that to speak out about evils and horrendous things and affliction that we see in our world. But we would never, God, make that evil and affliction our in focus. That we would be people who refuse cancel culture. And we would accept people even when they get it wrong. But we would never shy away from speaking the truth. That we would understand that love is the collision of grace and truth. And that we would be people who live in authentic community. Challenging one another. Encouraging one another. And helping one another grow closer to you. I pray, God, that this is something that would be a high value. So work in our hearts and work in our lives in your son jesus name we pray